Well, good morning, everybody. Praise God, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. If you guys would please join me, we always pray and ask God to bless our service and help us understand the Word, because we know the Word says that we can only understand the things of God by the Spirit of God. So if you guys would please join me in a word, and let's ask God to bless our message and bless our hearts. God, we thank you so much for bringing us here. We thank you so much for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. God, we thank you, Lord God, that your mercies are new every day. And Lord, even this new day where we get to listen to this message, Lord, and be here in church or or be online and listen to the message online and plus go into a, a home church, I hope, Lord, for those that are listening to me out there. Lord, we thank you for this new day and that your mercies, that we get to hear your word and know your word and that we ask you to help us understand your word by your Holy Spirit, Lord. And we know that these are all blessings. Thank you so much, Lord God, and these are all your grace, your grace that we get another day, your grace that we get another breath, and your grace, Lord God, that you help us understand your word, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Please help us. We ask that you would, uh, Lord, be here with us today as two or more are gathered in, in your name here in this church. And all right, Lord, we ask you that you be here, Lord, and touch us all and help us understand and Help us not only to understand, but help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We thank you, Lord God, and we love you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Acts chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12. Just a simple, simple little section here. Acts, again, Acts 20, 7 through 12. Uh, the name of the title of our sermon today. Paul and the Fortunate Young Man. Again, title sermon, Paul and the Fortunate Young Man. That'll make sense to you as we go on. Anyway, I hope you're there. I'm going to read Acts 20, 7 through 12. If you guys want to follow along, great. If not, listen, join me, however you want to. The Bible says this. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a young man named Eudahus. It looks like in our English, it looks like U-T-Cus, but it's U-T-Hus. That's the way his name is pronounced. Eudahus was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking... He fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread, and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Last week Luke told us about the travel story of Paul going from Asia to Greece, right? Traveled through Macedonia on foot and not by boat because of a plot of the Jews to kill him. Remember, they, he was about to take that trip and he says, uh, hey, he learns about a plot and they're going to kill him. And he's like, nope, nope, got, not going to go that way. They traveled through Macedonia on foot to get to Asia and they come to a city named Troas, which is where we are today. Troas is on the northeast corner of Asia. Luke also told us that they stayed in Troas seven days 
And that is where Paul left off, or that is where Luke left off in his recording of Paul's travels and his travels as well, too, as he was a travel companion in our last section. Today we open up with an account of Paul and an event that happens to a very fortunate young man because of him while in Troas. This event with the fortunate young man because of Paul happens on the last day he's in Troas, on the seventh day that he's there, before he sets sail for a new destination, which we'll get to next week. So let's begin our section and see what happens to Paul in his last full day in Troas. Verse 7 again. Now on the first day of the week, that's important, I'll explain, when the disciples came together to break bread, that's important also, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message, that's also important, until midnight. The first day of the week means that Paul's last day in Troas was a, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. Then, now, Sunday, first day of the week. That's important. Which puts Paul arriving in Troas on the Monday of the week before. Sunday starts the first day of the new week. Monday would have been the last week. And on this particular first day of the week, Sunday, Luke tells us that they, not Paul alone, but they, came together. Paul was their leader. Paul was their teacher. He taught them a message to break bread and have a message right before Paul was going to travel again. What do all of these elements remind me of? They remind me of my first main point of this section of Scripture today, something we see, something that's hard to deny. They remind me that they had a church service. The leader, Paul, giving a message an evening message that lasted until midnight. I'll explain evening and a, a message in a bit, but he has a congregation. The disciples of the Christians there in Troas, they come together. And during this interaction, lastly, we have them breaking bread. What is breaking bread? That's called communion. We have that at Gospel Saving Church every Sunday morning before we start church service. We have our communion. Interesting tidbits of information there, I would say. Today, When do we have church again? What day of the week does the traditional Christian, you know, orthodoxy people, when do we have church again? Well, let's see. Oh, that's right. This morning, it's right. That's, it's Sunday morning. Now, it may not be Sunday night, but here we have Sunday morning. Here they're having church on Sunday night. Don't tell me. I hate to get on this, this horse, but I get on it often, especially when it comes up in Scripture. Don't tell me that they did not have Sunday church traditionally as we have it just like we do today. Th- this idea is a very strong one in our culture, especially in America today. There's a lot of people that teach this evil teaching that church is not traditional and church is just the body of believers over the whole world. And and that is one way that the church is used in the Bible. But the main way that church is used in the Bible and the main way that we see church in the Bible are through many instances in the Bible where we see a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening brick-and-mortar church service with paid leaders or, or missionary leaders and a congregation, exactly the way we see church happening literally today. This was God's original plan for his children to come together and to have church. Not just to be, oh, well, I'm part of a church body throughout the whole world, but 
I don't believe in, in traditional church. I don't believe that I have to go to, go to, to a church and listen to a pastor and, and be involved in a congregation. That's all, that's all modern day. They, they just do that for money. And, yeah, and the list goes on. These people say that the type of church that we hold today is not necessary. And they also say that it's not biblical. Yet... Two time, multiple times in Scripture, when we go through the Scriptures, when we go through the epistles of Paul, when we go through the book of Acts, multiple times do we see them having literal identical church services exactly as we have today, July 2018. We see just a Sunday evening service today in our scripture with a congregation, a teacher, a leader, and communion. And we even see it in our Acts section 2, Acts chapter 2, the section that I taught there a while ago. I, I taught a sermon on that called The Church, and I described this uh, section that I'm going to read to you now. But it, I'm not going to go through it as in-depth as I did then, but I am just going to highlight some major points from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where we literally see a Sunday morning church service, that be, or the first Sunday morning church service, I should say, that, of course, why would they have veered off of that plan when that's how God started to begin with? Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this, and this was after the, this was after the church had just grown, and Peter gave a huge message, and it says this, it happened on the day of Pentecost. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Well, there you got your leaders. The apostles were paid leaders for the church, exactly like all the pastors that we have nowadays. The Bible says don't uh, muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. So a, a paid pastor is a normal thing. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There was your authority. The apostles taught it and fellowship. Listen, in the breaking of bread, having communion, and in prayers. Well, we just had a prayer before we started service, and we just had the breaking of bread communion before we started our church service. That's what I've been to churches. That's what they do today. Then, 43, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. They had more of a, more of a communal type uh, church then. They had more of a, a, a commune type of church then, I should say, where everybody kind of sold everything they had and moved in together and kind of was, was together in like a community in the church body. That, that I don't think that's a good plan for today because we don't see it continue on in the, church, in, in the Bible that way, but, that, but a time for this, fantastic. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, well, there's your building, that's where they had it, but they just had a church service every day as they went on in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. That would be they went to houses and they had church services and they had their their their, their gatherings throughout the week and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, there were more people then just the, the, the context here was the church, as we see the church today, building, apostles, leadership, congregation, breaking of bread, people tithing in, in everything that they were selling and giving it to the church that we have literally, the church that we have today. And as I said before I started that whole section, this all happened, the very first one where it all started, happened on the day of Pentecost. It all happened on the day of Pentecost. Why is that important? This is going to blow your mind. 
Why has it proved my first major point today? Well, the day of Pentecost is always on Sunday. Always, ever since the Leviticus chapter 23, when God laid down the day of Pentecost back in Scripture, Leviticus 23, 15 through 17, I'm going to read it, show you Pentecost was always and is always, even to this day, on Sunday. God says this, And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, which is a Monday, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Seven times seven is 49, and then we have the Monday, right, that started off, which makes 50 full days. 16, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord, and you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven, and, the first, and they are the first fruits of the Lord. As you see, Pentecost was on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And so we have our very first church service falling on the day of Pentecost with the disciples and so on and so forth. And that's how it continued. In closing to my first major point of this message, I must say this for anyone out there listening to me to say, or anyone you know that would say the early church didn't hold their church services on Sunday in a brick or mortar church or a, or a house or something like that, but traditional church service like we see it today with leaders, pastors, elders, a congregation, tithing, the breaking of bread, you know, loving one another, coming together and holding each other accountable together in a building, not just far off in other states that we may know somebody that we talk to once in a while. That is ridiculous. Sunday church service is one of God's wills for your life. In fact, what I see in the, in the, in the New Testament with the church what I see more, and which I wish we had more of nowadays, which we don't, is I wish we had more church services throughout the week, more church services. We only come together generally once or twice a week in our modern America for church, and that's not bad because that's biblical. They did it more than once in the Bible and the New Testament, but they also did it, as we even read in, in Acts 2, they were doing it every day. Now, I, I wish we could just get together for a short time every day, um, but you know, hey, I, w- I would be just satisfied if people, if I could get you to see that you're listening to me, maybe you don't believe in Sunday church services, I, I pray, my prayer for you is that you would realize that Scripture does teach that, and it is biblical, and, and stop being your own soldier. I don't know if it's you out there listening or you know somebody, but in today's world, misguided and confused people really contest the pattern of church that we have today, that we see today, because they don't want to submit to authority. They don't want to come to a place and submit themselves to one another, as the Bible says. And they want to believe whatever they want to believe about the Bible, which is not what God says, believing whatever's convenient for them to follow, instead of following the pattern that God Almighty and Jesus Christ laid down for His followers, for us that are really His, to follow in the New Testament. If you're a real Christian and you're listening to me out there and you do not believe in Sunday church services or gathering together like we see in our modern day world, it is a biblical New Testament thing and you should be in a good godly church, one that teaches the word. It is one of God's basic callings for you in your walk with him. That is my first major point. Please, 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 please. Go to the epistles of Paul, 
Go to the book of Acts and see how they do it. And open your mind to what God has to say instead of closing your mind to, well, this is, I don't, I just don't see it. And you know, these people, there are a lot of bad churches. I'm not going to lie to you. There are a lot of bad churches. And there are a lot of churches that all they do is they want you to come there and they want you to give them their money or your money. But that is not God's plan. But what is God's plan is for you to seek God's face into where he wants you to go, a good godly church, one that loves you and cares about your spiritual well-being, and then find that place and go there and be edified by those that are there. And also, one thing you may not be thinking about, one thing God's shown me, you also, you need edification, I need edification, but we edify one another. So you may be thinking, well, I don't need to go to church, I'm edified enough. Well, that, okay, you may be. I don't think so, but you may be. But one thing you're missing is, what about the edification that you can offer to others? You, as a child of God, if you're really a child of God, you go to a church, you, me, we edify one another. Somebody else there may need you to edify them with the wisdom and knowledge that God has given you throughout the years. And you're robbing God's house. You're robbing God's children of the edification that you can give them because of the experience that you have in the Lord. And maybe the 10, 15, 20 years of service that you've given your, of your life to the Lord, you're robbing another young Christian of that by you staying away from the, the church of God. And that is not God's will for any one of his children. Please go to scripture and look. Moving forward. Continuing on in this section. So we see them having church service, just like we do today, except at night. And it says there that Paul wanted to leave or depart the next day. That was our first verse 7. He's going traveling again, which sounds like he only taught the one message, which today we call having a guest speaker. We've had a couple of those here at Gospel Saving Church. And he gets all the Christians together and gives a message, but then he just continues on till midnight. Now, usually when anyone wants to leave or go on a trip the next day, they want to go to bed early and they want to get their rest for the trip, and, but not Paul. He, he got inspired by God here and felt a passion from God to give a message and praise God. Uh, he didn't shorten it. He, he spoke from in this first verse uh, sometime in the evening until midnight thus far. Verse 11, we're not there yet. We'll get there today, but tells us that he actually, not only does he teach till midnight, but that he actually after they ate and after they had communion, he went on all the way to the morning when he had to leave. So really, he, he probably hadn't slept since the night before, and now he's going on a 24-hour full day of sleep. Maybe he's thinking, oh, I'll rest after the work of God is done after I'm here uh, doing this with these Christians here, probably there to encourage them and, and teach a message of encouragement. Now, now, what time of the day did these Christians gather together for Sunday service? Now, I've, already, I've been saying so far that it's been in the evening, and, and I contest here today that they came together and broke bread and had communion in those days when you knew the scripture, as we've already read over, they always had communion, especially go to 1 Corinthians, and we find that they had communion and also ate dinner. And when do people eat dinner, both then and now? Well, you don't eat dinner at 9 o'clock in the morning, or you don't eat dinner at noon. You eat dinner in the evening. In the evening time, of course, which is the case that I make here, which is why I keep saying that they had a Sunday evening service. So the time they would have gathered together would have been in the evening, and I even believe that it was after dark. Why do I believe that? Verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Well, think about it. Do you light lamps to lighten the room at noon? Do you light lamps to, to lighten the room at 
four o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the, the, the earliest that you might light lamps to lighten a room is after dark, and it might be sometime in the winter months, because you know it does get earlier then. So putting this church service anywhere from maybe as early as six o'clock starting to as late as maybe eight o'clock p.m. starting, depending on what time of the year, if it was winter, if it was spring, or if it was, you know, fall or summer. So either way, it was after dark in the evening where they would have had communion and then eaten. So they're having an evening church service on Sunday that goes from sometime in the evening after it had become dark until midnight. Now enter our fortunate young man, the second idea, main idea that I have for this message. Read verse 9. And in a window sat a certain young man named Judas, which literally means fortunate. That's what his name meant. Judas meant fortunate. Get the title of the message now? Paul and the fortunate young man. See that? See that? So this Judas, verse 9, who was sinking into a deep sleep, he was overcome by this sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So Eudahus was a young man, and praise God that he was even there to begin with. Uh, for such a long time is this to, to go on with hours as Paul spoke. Because whether you go from 6 p.m., the earliest it could have gotten dark, to 8 p.m., uh, 6 to 12, 8 to 12, that's a long time for an evening Sunday service. Again, they went on until morning, but at this point here, before he died, Paul was going on until midnight. Even today in churches I've been to, I've seen young people, young, young, young as Eutychus, younger, you know, teenage. I've, I've had, seen them having a hard time staying awake during a Sunday service. For that matter, even many adults I've seen in church don't stay awake for a half hour or an hour service. And that is a feat that I would even call a miracle today for a, an adult or a ch- any. There's many that don't. So all that do, that's a feat. And so here, Eudahus, I, I don't see it. Wow, oh, I condemn this young boy for falling asleep in church. Not for the hours that they were there. Uh, so obviously, they're having church this night in some type of building. And why do I say that? Well, it had three stories. And why do I say that? Well, he fell from the third story window. So this was an upper room that had three stories to it, right? Because young men, again, fell from the third story window. The young, fortunate man, Eudahus, was sitting in one of the windows, and I can see him now, sitting in an open window with maybe feet hanging, right, towards Paul, looking down on Paul. Really, that's not even a safe place to be for a young man, if you ask me, but that's where he was, and praise God that he's there. But while he's listening to Paul, and as Paul goes on and on and on for, you know, four to six to whatever hours that he goes on, Eudahus gets tired, and he falls asleep, falls down, and dies. So, I don't think it was really because Paul was being boring, as I said earlier. Remember, this whole trip started out with him being him starting out on an encouragement mission. Remember, encouraging others to stay abiding in Christ and keeping the faith and not departing and staying the course in their faith in Jesus Christ. And just like I got onto my tangent last week, I'm not going to go there this week because that's not one of my main focuses of this sermon. But remember last week, I, I kind of went on about, you know, come on, stay in the Lord and he loves you and this and that and the other thing. And, and God's so good and he's worth staying in there. And 
Don't fall away. Warning about all the evil things that will pull you away from God. As I was going on, I even got carried away. Just within my hour, I actually had to cut out some really important information at the end of the sermon because I try to keep my messages around an hour. I could teach, I, I could be a Paul. I could teach you for four or five, six hours in the Bible in one section. Easy. I love to talk about the Bible. It's my favorite subject. So anyway, I doubt it was Paul that he was boring because Paul would have been a passionate teacher and he loved the Lord. And of course, he loved these people. He loved all God's children. And he was there, I believe, to encourage them. And that is not boring preaching at all. So I don't, again, believe Eudas fell asleep because Paul bored him. I think that he fell asleep simply because he was probably up early the day before to go to work, or or I should say that same day since it was before midnight. He was probably up early to go to work, which that's what people did. They supported their families, and a, a young man would have meant that he had a job, that he probably maybe had some school, but they didn't have school like we do today, so he probably would have had a job, and Either way, he had gone all day to school or, or, well, this was a first day of the week Sunday, so he might have been working or he might have been in fellowship with others. Either way, he was up all day and he was doing things and the man was tired. Young man was tired and they're just sitting there and he's leaning over the wall and he's sitting there and it's four or six hours and then he just couldn't stay awake. There could have been others that had dozed off during Paul's message here, but they didn't make it in, in, in the... They didn't make their place into Luke's writing because they didn't fall from a third-story window and then, uh, like you did, and die, right? Anyway, getting back, how does the great apostle Paul respond to the tragedy that happens to Eudas? In some very weird and interesting ways, start in verse 10. This, this is where the message kind of gets kind of really interesting here, verse 10. But when Paul went down... He, which means he, he got down off of his pulpit or off of his, his raised, elevated place that he was to speak to the people that were down below. And embracing him, which means he fell on him and he hugged him. Then he comes up and he says, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now, we don't have a recording here of Paul even praying for you to this. He just, number one, falls on him and then hugs him. Kind of weird concept, but... If you think about it, if you know your Bibles, I know, I know my Bibles, it's very easy. A lot of men of God that were led by God in all the Old Testament, including Christ, including Peter with Dorcas, they would, if somebody died or if somebody fell sick or whatever happened, they would go to the person and they would fall on them. Uh, I remember Elijah one time with the, with the widow's son. He came on the young man, he fell on him, and he put his face on the young man's face, face to face, as if they were like kissing. But of course, I don't see uh, Elijah being uh, kissing another boy. He was there for whatever reason. God would lead his children to do this. This is a very common thing in the Old Testament, including Jesus, including Peter, and now we even see with Paul. So that's not too weird. It is for our concept today, but not back then. They would do it before they'd pray over them, or they would do it before they would command them to rise you know, in God's name or in Jesus Christ's name, rise up, I command you right now, and then the person would come to life. God's anointed person doing it. Anyway, after he does this, not seeming to pray for him, uh, nor even seeming to speak over him, hey, get up in the name of Jesus Christ, because he does neither of these things. He simply then says, number two, hey, everyone, don't worry, he's not dead. What? 
Then assuredly to everyone's surprise, what he responds by doing next, verse 11, blows, blows my mind. I don't know if you ever read this section. I mean, like, what? Verse 11, now when he, that'd be Paul, had come up, you know, because he had fallen on the young boy, he raised up, so got up from the young man. He had broken bread and eaten, so they, they had communion and then had their food. And then he talked a long while, even till daybreak when he departed. So he, we, have, we have to believe that someone had declared Eutychus indeed dead, right? He fell from the third story window. He was limp. What, what happens when somebody falls and they're limp? They're not waking up. Chances are they're, they're landing shoulder or head or something first. So I see Eutychus here falling from this window and, and possibly dying by breaking his neck. Okay, so that's what, that's what I think happened. And so we have somebody declaring him dead. Who could have declared him dead? Well, who was there that was a doctor? Well, we at least know that Luke was a physician. So I, my guess is, is that Luke is the one that went up to him initially and proclaimed him dead. Yet after Luke had declared him dead, Paul says this boy's alive. Then he proceeds to, I'll just give you a simple translation of verse 11. Paul goes on about his business with these believers in their church service by giving communion, having dinner, and then even more surprising than anything, goes on, he decides to speak or preach his message right up until the time he has to leave, all the way until daybreak. Now, that would have been 6 or 6.30, so which means he started his church service around 6 or 8, and then goes all the way to 6 to 6.30 in the morning. 12 hours, a literal half a day message after a young boy dies. Had the young man come in alive before Paul's departure time in the morning? Doesn't seem to me to be that way by what verse 12 says. Look at verse 12. And they brought the young man in alive. This was after the statement that he preached until the morning time when he got, you know, when he, when he had to leave, which means that they had taken him out of the room because it says here and then they brought the young man in alive which means that after he died paul fell on him then paul says hey he's alive then they i guess a couple guys maybe is what my guess is two three guys picked him up brought him out maybe because he was being and obviously he would have been a distraction a young man laying there on the floor because it, again it doesn't seem to me like they he was getting up then and then especially the last thing and then it says the very last words of the section and they were not a little comforted. Uh, seems to me there that the young, fortunate man, literally now that he is literally alive now anyway, seems to me that they didn't bring him in alive until the morning time when Paul's about to leave. Because number one, his being alive is the last verse in the event. And by being the last recorded event, and then saying number two, that they were not a little comforted, which means they were extremely comforted. Like, I can see the scene they, they bring him in alive, and I could see all the people that were there. Oh, wow, he is alive. All right. Kind of meaning to me that it would, I could see in their minds them being a little concerned. And the boy, they took the boy out. I know Paul said he was alive, but oh my gosh, is he really alive? I mean, that's the scene I'm seeing on my mind. So being extremely comforted as the last words would lead me to believe that they had to wait to see him truly alive, and that would be waiting six hours. Remember, he stopped at midnight, and, and daybreak was 6 to 6.30, 
So, which means that when he was brought out was around midnight, and when he was brought back in was 6 to 6.30 in the morning, and they had to have the, listen to Paul or have conversation with Paul, whatever, however they did their, the last part of their church service there, without knowing for sure, seeing with their own eyes, the dead boy that Paul had brought back to life. If Judas, the fortunate young man, had come up alive right away, Paul had fallen upon him, hugged him, then declared him alive, and around midnight, then I think the scripture would have recorded their relief right away. I know I would have been relieved right away. All right. In fact, I probably would have been cheering. You know, hey, praise God. All right. Paul, speak on. Paul, speak on. Let's keep going. I want to, hey, the young boy's alive. Anyway, what answer do we come up with as to the situation with the fortunate young man, Eudas, and the apostle Paul? Do we say that Luke gave an inaccurate diagnosis of him when he fell down from the third story after he fell asleep, where someone, again, probably Luke, diagnosed him dead initially? Do we say that? Or do we say that God did yet another miracle through the Apostle Paul by raising you to his from the dead, probably with the broken neck, by bringing him complete healing and making the bones in his neck come back to place and being perfect again? What do we make the conclusion? What's our answer? What conclusion do you make? I tend to err on the side of God doing another miracle through the Apostle Paul just because that's how God moved in Paul's life and Paul's ministry. I believe that Paul had the gift of healing. As we know that in 1 Corinthians, that is one of the things that uh, gifts that are given. I, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, and God has appointed these in the church first. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. So, now you may agree with me, but have a question about how Paul never actually seemingly did anything to bring him back to life. Remember, he falls on him, but he doesn't say anything, doesn't pray over him. He doesn't, never commanded him to come back to life. He just seemingly falls on him and gets up. And, and you can't refute that because the event was recorded, every detail. And, and neither one of those two traditional things that the men of God did in the Old Testament and Jesus and Peter, uh, none of those things happened. So uh, these are correct observations. Paul never said, rise in the name of Jesus Christ, or he never said, he never said, oh, Lord, I pray that you'd raise this man up and that he'd be healed, and then he rose up. One thing that God did show me what Paul did was, what, what, what miraculous thing did Paul do that could have brought him back to life? He touched him. Right? He touched him. Would that have been enough from Paul to heal the unfortunate man? Well, remember Acts 19, 11, and 12. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Well, think about it. If pieces of cloth would come from Paul's body to go to other people that were sick or demon-possessed, and then that alone, just Paul's touch on them, him then not even being present, that cloth being brought to somebody would heal somebody. How much more or how the same in God's eyes would be Paul actually going on and hugging him and then saying, oh, yep, and then him knowing right away, God saying, hey, I'm going to heal him, you know, you had the healing touch, and then, then that was his healing touch was enough to do it. I think so. And I see this as probably at least part of Eudahus' healing. Uh, could there have been another part? I do believe so. Paul's faith, right, that is healing touch, could heal Eudahus, as well as the faith of those in the room with them 
that Paul could heal him as well. In response to a failed attempt, remember, by the apostles to cast out a demon and a young man, Matthew 17, Jesus tells us in Matthew 17, 20, he says to them, because of your unbelief, you couldn't heal him, I'll add that, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Paul and those around him were full of faith. They were full of faith and sold out for Jesus Christ. How do I know this? So full of faith and sold out for Jesus Christ were they that they sat for almost a six or six and a half hour church service that lasted all night long and into the morning to listen to Paul preach. Now, I don't know about you, but I know there's long church services today. There's certain denominations that like to have all-day church services You know, that go from you know, 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning all the way to the evening time. But that's a day service. I don't see the dedication of someone staying in an all-day church service while having lunch in between and doing those things because it is still during the day. But boy, I really see a lot of dedication staying awake all night long after you've either worked the day before, because remember the day before would have been Saturday, the Sabbath, and then, you know, because that, that could have been a working day. Remember, Paul wasn't here with the Jews. He was, this Troas was a Gentile city. Gentiles don't have a Sabbath day regulation, so they would have been working the day before. And then, of course, now, you know, here it is, midnight the day before. So I, I really see this as true dedication and true faith in Christ. And Paul obviously believed that he had the faith that just the, that his touch was enough to bring this young man Back from the dead, uh, back from the dead. Even though he had a broken neck, and we know that Paul had to have faith because we know Paul's life was pleasing to God. And Hebrews eleven six tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you are today listening to me, and you are a born again Christian, faith is an integral part of your walk. With Jesus Christ. My walk as well, too. God has uh, done a lot of refreshing in my life through this message. I hope He does a lot in yours. In the context of the section we study today, I believe the second greatest point that we can learn from this message with Paul and the fortunate young man and those around him was Paul having faith in God in the gift of healing that God had given Paul to do. Paul had the gift of healing. I mean, we just see that all throughout Scripture. And Paul allowed God. God, excuse me, allowed Paul to practice this gift of healing. So, huge second lesson for God's children today. How strong is your faith in the God that saved you when you practice or in the practicing of the gifts that God has given you to practice? Has God Almighty given you the ability to preach? Are you a apostle? Are you a a prophet like those gifts that we read about in 1 Corinthians? Has he given you the ability to preach? Which would say then, do you have the faith? The lesson I want you to learn here, the lesson I've learned through this message is, do you have the faith in God and in the gift that he's given you to preach like Paul had in this section with this young man? And like the people that were with Paul, uh, to, to stay with him even though they may have been going, oh man, oh wow, where's the young boy going? I, I sure hope he is alive, like Paul said. 
but none of them left. We don't have a recording of any of them leaving, which means that they all, even though they may have had a, a, a doubt in their mind, they all were like, no, Paul's a great healer. God's given, and, and then, then they stayed, which tells me that if they stayed in the message and they stayed there, none of them left, that they trusted that God was going to work through Paul to heal this young man because, you know, they were a church and they would have loved one another greatly. So they would have, young, they would have loved Judas, this young man. So do you have the faith in God and the gift that he's given you to preach like Paul had in this section with this young man? Has God gifted you to be a prayer warrior? Intercession. Has God, is that, that your gift from the Lord? Because we know that is a gift from God. Well, when you pray, do you have the type of faith that Paul had here in his ability that God gave him to heal, to pray so hard and so strong daily, interceding for the world, believing that God's going to answer your prayer requests? Or is it just rote? Or are you just praying, oh, well, you know, I've been praying for all this time, and I don't know, I don't know, maybe God's hearing me, I don't know. No. Do you have the faith in God that Paul had here with his healing ability in order that your prayers would be pleasing to God? Because you have faith. Uh, do you have the gift of healings or miracles or prophecy like God gave to Paul with the healings? Do you, again, do you use them like Paul used his gift of healing here? How he had faith in God that he knew, hey, I know God's given me the gift of healing and I'm going to have faith in God. Even though the young man didn't raise up right away. And even though the people there were, whoa, wow, is he going to be, well, they had to put their faith, Paul had to put his faith in God and say, you know, this young boy's alive. No, no, no. Even though he's not raising up now, take him out. He'll be alive. I promise. God's going to heal him. Because remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants us to operate in faith. Remember, Hebrews eleven six. He wants us to operate in faith. Faith, in case you didn't know, begins our relationship with God. Matthew 18, 2 and 3. Jesus said this. Jesus called a little child to him and he set him in the midst of them. And he said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little, child, as, as little children, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And what, what do little children have more than anybody else in the whole world? They've got multiple things, but the things that, that coincide with what we're talking about is here is, is that they're so trusting. They have such faith in their parents. Food's always going to be on the table. Mom and dad are always going to provide for me. It's all going to work out. Little children have incredible, incredible faith. They, they haven't lived long enough for people to disappoint them. And so they don't, re- they, it's a shame because people do disappoint and we shouldn't have faith in people, but little children don't know that. They just have faith. They just believe. And this is what Jesus said. You aren't going to get into the kingdom of heaven unless you have basically the faith of a little child. Faith is also involved in us continuing our relationship with God. 18 verse 4, that same thing, Matthew 18, 4. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Little children are humble. They walk with their parents. They hold their parents' hands. They, they're obedient to their parents, even though sometimes they do go astray and we parent a loving parent's going to bring them back in. But a little child, a tiny little child, just clings to mommy and daddy. 
and then they're humble because they don't know what pride is yet. So faith is involved even in our continuing our relationship with God. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.5, God's children are kept by the power of God through what? Through faith. Or kept by the power of God through faith. Kept means that we continue on that way. So faith is an integral part of our walk with God. Us having faith in God in all things is monumentally important in our walks with God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Faith to keep walking with Jesus Christ until our end, or like we learned today with Paul and the young man, faith to believe and trust in God when we practice the gifts that he's given us to come through with the results of whatever we're doing and having faith in God for whatever our spiritual gifts may be that God's given us when we practice them. Christians, whatever gifts of God that he has given you by his Holy Spirit, because he has given you some if you're his, you need to have faith in him and practice them. And you need to have faith and expect results. If prayer warrior, then answers to prayer. If preacher, hey, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to preach and God's going to give it to me and I'm going to move people and God's going to move people through my preaching. If healings, then you need to expect healings. And so on and so forth. Go through the rest of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as we read in the Bible. We are saved for works. You may not know that, but we are. Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved for works. So Christian, please be responsible with the gifts that God has given you and do great works for God with the gifts that he's given you. And the greatest reason why? Well, if, you, if you're saved and, and you love Jesus Christ and you're walking with him, what's the number one thing that we ought to want to do? Number one, we ought to want people to come to him other than us. We'd want our, we want our families, we want our loved ones, we want our friends. Immediately when you get saved, you start caring about the lost. And one of those things you want to do is you want the lost to come to, have, to Christ and be saved and have freedom and have peace just like you did. And, and look at the greatest reason Jesus says that same thing, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And we know that by people seeing God is good, the Bible tells us that it is God's goodness that leads men to repentance. Maybe you'll tell me today, I don't know what gifts God's given me, but I know I love and I follow Jesus Christ. Well, if you're God's child and you're truly born again, He has given you gifts to use for His glory and kingdom to help people come to Him. So I would ask you to seek His face today as to which ones are really yours, which ones He has for you. Also see 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11 for a list of them. Ask, seek, knock on the door of God's heart and His ear and pray and ask God, please show me what are my gifts. Do a study on it. Maybe you have some, but you just don't know that they're actually gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you will have them, and if you do or once you find out the ones you have, practice them. God wants you to practice them, brings him glory, brings people to him, so on and so forth. Maybe you've done all this and you still don't see that you have any gifts of God's Holy Spirit. Well, then I'd ask you if you truly have begun to follow Jesus Christ 
as he told people too in Matthew 16, repenting to humble yourself as a little child and having, repenting to have that faith as a humble little child does, like we spoke on in Matthew 18. How did Jesus Christ say to come to him? Because this may be more than anything, this may be your problem. If you don't see yourself exhibiting any Holy Spirit gifts, and you've looked and you still don't see any, well, maybe you've never become born again to begin with because there's two baptisms of the Holy Spirit that God's Word speaks about. One is the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come to be saved, where God comes and lives inside of you and then changes you, makes you a different person, makes you a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then the second baptism of the Holy Spirit is where God gives you the works, He gives you those abilities to have of the Holy Spirit so that you can serve Him, so on and so forth. So this may be your problem, Matthew 16, 24, 25. There's a lot of churches that teach, oh, if you just have a belief in Jesus. Well, I believe in my dog and my cat and the sun and the moon and the stars and, and, and the world. But that doesn't mean that I have a true relationship with or I know them intimately just because I know of them. So Jesus gives away, Matthew 16, 24, 25, that he said, this is how I want you to come to me if you want to be saved, in a sense. Matthew 16, 24, 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That's very important, as I preach almost every Sunday. We're born as the masters and the lords and the gods over our own lives. We're born, that's what, God, that's what we are. We're born in the flesh. Nobody is born saved as far as like once they reach the age of accountability, no one is automatically saved because, well, I'm just a person. You have to, what Jesus said here, deny yourself. We're born as the leaders, masters, rulers, gods of our own lives. Jesus said, deny yourself. Take that off. Take, get rid of that. You can't be the master and Lord of your own life. If you want me, if you want my salvation, I have to be the God of your life. Hence what he says next. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Means that you've decided not to live for yourself anymore. Not to live with you as the ruler of your own life anymore. But it's to live with Jesus Christ as the ruler of your life. And then you following him and his teachings. You making this decision. Not that works save you. But the repentance is a decision of the heart to say, Hey, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I, I want to be saved. I want to be a child of God. And then you making that repentance to become like, to humble yourself and to have the faith of a little child and say, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And then it's a decision that you make to begin a journey with Jesus Christ and letting yourself go, stopping being the Lord of your own life and letting Jesus Christ be the Lord of your life. Verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life, meaning if you want to be your own Lord of your life and you want to stay that way, Jesus said, well, you'll lose it, meaning you'll lose your eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake... Well, he'll find it. Whoever loses the control of their own life and gives that control over to me, surrenders to me, becomes as a little child, humbles themselves, has the faith of a little child, then they'll gain their eternal life. That means, again, that you stop being the boss of your life and, and, you, and your life and your lifestyle would then become resembling of Jesus Christ and the way he taught and the way he lived. He lived in holiness he lived in godliness. He, he lived for righteousness. He lived to love God and serve God and obey God. And does that resemble you? Do you, does your life resemble a biblical lifestyle? Not just good person ideology. 
Well, I'm talking about does your lifestyle resemble the ways that Christ lived? And this is what we're looking for if you've been born again. If you've truly done this, and what I just said describes you, praise God, then seek God's face if you still don't see any spiritual gifts, for He has some specifically for you, and they are for you for sure so that you can serve Him and glorify Him, and other people would see your good works and glorify God, and His goodness is going to draw them to Him, because it is His will that you serve Him with the gifts that He gives you to serve Him as you are His true kid. If, if what I read in Matthew 16, 24, and 25, you realize, hey, I'm not there. Well, no, I never really have decided to stop living for myself and, and follow Jesus Christ and take up my cross and follow after Him. No, I'm, I, I'm still me. I, I just have a belief in Jesus. Well, then the Bible says you're not saved. You're not walking with Him. You're not His child. You're not born again. And what he says is he wants you to come to him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and lowly, and I will give you rest. And he wants you not to wait another minute or hour or day, for guess what? You're not guaranteed anything. You're not guaranteed anything just outside of this moment right now. Well, we had a lady one time in church. I was just about to preach, and she had a heart attack or something like that. Her heart, heart, heart starts fibrillating. She died. She took her last breath, the post-mortem breath is what I was told after the fact. You may not have another moment. You may die tomorrow, this afternoon. So you don't have anything more than what you have right now. Today... He's waiting for you to surrender to Him, taking yourself off the throne of your life, making Him your master, and giving Him the throne of your heart, and making a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Turn to Him and to be saved. He's so good. He's so loving. He gave His life for you on the cross to become the propitiation, to become the substitute for you so that you could stand before God perfected if you were to turn to Him if you become His, if you decide to give Him your life, to give Him your heart, and to start to follow Jesus Christ. And He's willing to save you from all your sins and your rebellion against Him today. All He wants, all He's waiting for, is for you to wave the white flag of surrender and repent and turn to Him and give Him your life and begin to follow Jesus Christ. So will you turn to Him today? Or will you keep living for yourself? One leads to life, one leads to death. All you have to do, if you want to turn to Him, is, is fall on your knees, fall on your bed, and cry out to God, Jesus Christ, I need you. I, I want to follow you. I want to be saved. I want to be your child. I want to be born again. Please save me, and I want to follow you. And then show God you're serious. Get into His Word. Start seeking His face. God will save you. He wants you to be saved. That is His will for every person on the planet. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your direction. Thank you so much, Lord God, for all the gifts that you give those that are your children. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you're willing to even um, give (laughs) the gifts of your Holy Spirit to those that would even become yours. Those that are sitting here today and they're not yours, they 
They've never made a true decision to follow Jesus Christ. They just have a head belief in Him, which we know the Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. And, and that's a, a heart belief is a heart belief of repentance to, to decide to turn to follow you, not to just have a head belief in all, I believe in Jesus Christ, so I'm saved. So, so Lord, even the gifts that you desire to give to those that would even become your child today, God, you're so good. You're so good. You, you, you offer eternal life to those that have never had it. And once they become your child, Lord, so many awesome things await them, so many adventures, so many even struggles that you'll help them through, Lord, so many changes of life that they're going to they're gonna change from a, from, from a self-indulged person, from a, a, a selfish person, Lord God, that you'll change them to be someone that actually can love and, and, and be giving and be truly kind for no gain. And Lord, that's, that's, what you, that's what you offer, Lord, in a true relationship with you. God, thank you so much for how good and how loving and how kind you are. And Lord, I just pray, uh, whoever's listening to this message today, Lord God, I pray that they would turn to you if they're not yours. And I pray, dear God, that they would surrender their lives to Jesus Christ and decide to follow him. Please, Lord God, help them make that decision. For those that are listening to this message that are yours, Lord, I pray that they would exercise with boldness and expectation the spiritual gifts that you've given them, Lord God in heaven, and that we would do it in faith, Father God. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Lord God, I pray that we would exercise our spiritual gifts that you've given us in faith and expectation of your working in them for, for whatever you want to accomplish. I just pray, Lord God, help us be in the business of changing lives today. Help us, God. We pray these things and ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.